Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. More extreme weather could be on the way. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration has issued an El Nino watch. Today's El Nino has become very popular again after forecasters with NOAA declared its arrival in the Pacific Ocean. Some people are now asking if California is in for another wet winter. We're almost two weeks into the Atlantic hurricane season and 10 days since we had the first named storm, Arlene. And it's official. NOAA's declaring El Nino is here. If you've been thinking the weather and the effects of climate change have been extra volatile lately, droughts, wildfires, you name it, well, brace yourself. Because the arrival of the first El Nino in almost four years is expected to cause new kinds of upheaval across the globe. If we looked at North America, for instance, what you would see next winter in the El Nino is you would see a wetter, stormier part of the southern United States, for instance, and a drier southern tier of Canada. Scientists suggesting El Nino causes trillions of dollars in lost economic growth. Could be a more expensive cup of coffee, or you might be thinking twice about that block of chocolate the next time you're in the supermarket aisle. I'm Wes Kosova. Today on The Big Take, Bloomberg's Brian Sullivan and Ben Sharples on what El Nino has in store for us. Brian, for the past three years, we've been experiencing this global weather pattern known as La Nina. Now that's ended and we're about to enter into El Nino again. Can you explain to us what an El Nino is and how it's different from a La Nina? So El Nino is when the surface of the, the equatorial surface of the Pacific Ocean warms and the atmosphere above it reacts to it. And then La Nina is when most of that area is cooler and there's also a reaction to it. But because of the fact that you have warm and cold, you have different reactions in the atmosphere. And, and it's that reaction in the atmosphere that actually changes the weather systems around the world. And why does that happen? Part of it is just simply because the Pacific Ocean is so big. As one U.S. government expert told me, you know, it's just an accident of geography. The equator rotates slower than the rest of the globe, right? If you're at the North Pole, then you're spinning around much faster. And if you're at the equator, it moves slower. And the Pacific Ocean is just so huge that there's enough time for those anomalies, the warm or cool water, to pile up in that area and then change the atmosphere above it. Brian, can you just generally explain what's the weather like when you're in an El Nino and what's it like when you're in a La Nina? If we looked at North America, for instance, what you would see next winter in the El Nino is you would see a wetter, stormier part of the southern United States, for instance, and a drier southern tier of Canada. That would be one example. You would also see drier conditions across Brazil, where they grow a lot of the coffee. You would see drier conditions across Southeast Asia and as well as South Africa. In La Nina, you kind of get the opposite of that. So in La Nina, the southern United States, for instance, will be dry. The Pacific Northwest and southern Canada will be wet. 
There'll be drought in southern Brazil and Argentina, which has been really plaguing corn and soybean crops there for years, actually. And then you would probably get some wetter conditions in Brazil. So basically what you're seeing is shifting of drought and flood back and forth. It's just swinging of the pendulum. So if you're in drought during an El Nino, the pendulum would shift and you would be in flood during La Nina or vice versa. So even though we sometimes think of La Nina as the kinder of the two because it's cooler, the weather patterns themselves are still really extreme and potentially harmful. They can be completely destructive. If you look at the drought in California that has gone on for three years, that was driven largely by La Nina. And yet, Ben, in your story, you write, kind of the world is bracing for this new El Nino. Why is it considered to be so much more potentially harmful than the La Nina we've all been living through? El Nino tends to add more inflationary pressure uh, due to, to higher commodity prices. And, and higher commodity prices are typically due to those droughts and flooding that, that Brian has touched on. There's a wide range of crops that can be impacted. We're talking from wheat, corn, rice, coffee, cocoa in West Africa. And if there's significant damages to those, you know, it could be a more expensive cup of coffee or you might be thinking twice about that block of chocolate the next time you're in the supermarket aisle. But when you look at where we've come also, we've seen the world is recovering. It's trying to to regain its footing from the COVID-19 pandemic. In amongst that, you have the Russian invasion of Ukraine and that specifically hit commodities like oil, wheat, corn, and that sort of stuff. So it's, it's heaping that inflationary pressure on top of events that have already come. So we're in, already in an environment where we're experiencing above-target inflation in many countries. So El Nino just adds that little bit extra when countries and economies are trying to regain their footing. Brian, how do they know when an El Nino year is coming or when a La Nina? What is the cycle? There is an array of buoys that stretch from South America all the way across the Pacific Ocean into Indonesia, and those are constantly measuring the temperature of the water, as well as the atmospheric conditions above it. They use satellites as well. They have boats that go out there and take a look at things. So basically, if they start to see a trend in the temperature of the water, they start to look for signs in the atmosphere that the El Nino or the La Nina cycle may be starting. And that's the directions of the winds, for instance, across the Pacific Ocean. So if the winds are blowing from South America towards Asia, then you're going to get a a La Nina because that's going to pull the cold water up from the depths of the Pacific Ocean and spread it out across the equator. And likewise, when El Nino happens, those winds get weaker, and that allows the sun to just bake those waters in the the equatorial Pacific, and they just get hotter and hotter and hotter. So there's a lot of different signs out there that people are watching constantly. If you really want to know if El Nino has hit, just look to the waters off Peru and the anchovies there. Historically, it was a dead giveaway when El Nino was rolling in because the anchovy catch was less than what it would be in previous years. And that's because the anchovies go, they dive deeper into the cooler waters. They don't like the hot waters and it makes it harder for them to the catch. And that became initially as part of one of the indicators as to this whole phenomenon that we know El Nino. So uh, El Nino got its name because this migration of the anchovies happened around Christmas time. The fishermen in this area noticed that it was happening at Christmas time, so they referred to it as El Nino or the little boy 
The Christ child was born on Christmas, and that's where it came from. So the opposite, of course, is a girl. If you have a boy, you have to have a girl and La Nina. And how is climate change impacted El Nino or the strength of it, how often this cycle occurs? So originally, years ago, decades ago, they thought that El Ninos would become more common under the climate change regime, under the global warming, because, you know, warm ocean, you would have more El Ninos. But what they found in the last 20 years is that there's actually more La Ninas. And there's a lot of academic research going on right now is to try to figure out why that's happening. There's a number of interesting things, though. If you took the water temperature that would demonstrate a La Nina now, that would, would demonstrate the cool part of the Pacific Ocean now, and you went back in time 50 years or 60 years, that water would be warm enough to trigger an El Nino back in those days. So what you're seeing with that example is that the oceans are actually getting warmer and warmer and warmer. But El Nino and La Nina itself doesn't depend on the actual warmth of the water, what it depends on is how different the water is to each other. So if you get an area that's relatively warm in the Pacific Ocean, but it's cooler than the water on either side of it, then you will get a La Nina. Likewise, if you get a part of the Pacific Ocean that's actually quite a bit warmer than the water on either side of it, you get that El Nino because you need that differential in the temperature to really start the engine and get things going. Ben, you mentioned earlier about how these forceful weather patterns can affect the price of food, the ability to grow crops. How have previous El Ninos affected the food supply? Crops are vulnerable to the weather. All it takes is a little bit of change, a little less rain, and you've got a little less, let's say, for example, wheat. One of the examples is Australia recently reduced its forecast for the nation's wheat harvest, and they they are predicting that is primarily due to to lower rainfall due to El Nino. So that'll be a lower wheat crop this year. And that feeds into the global narrative of supply. For wheat, for example, there are healthy supplies within sort of the the European basket. But every, you, you get sort of dense in supply. El Nino is a reason. We spoke about Russia before, that was a reason. And incrementally, if you take supply out of the system, prices rise, and that feeds through into inflation. It feeds feeds into GDP growth from anywhere from Brazil to Australia to India. And it has a a huge effect. I mean, people are already paying a lot of money for, for staples in many areas of the world at the moment. Brian, one thing you write also in this story is that this spike in heat leads to a huge surge in demand for electricity to cool homes and other things. How do they anticipate this El Nino is going to affect kind of just the power grid and energy? Over the past few years, you've had trouble in California and um, particularly in Texas when this spike in heat comes along because it puts taxes to grid. Many of these places have a larger percentage of renewable energy online now than they had before. So when you get a really hot day, when you when you anticipate that the uh, megawattage is going way up, you're going to have to start shifting electricity around the grid to make up for that. Now, if you have one of these massive heat waves, which you've seen for the past few summers in a row, you can't really start grabbing electricity from somewhere else because everyone is hot. The only way to deal with that in a lot of cases is to actually ask people to go offline 
or you have rolling blackouts, which has happened before. Or in the extreme cases, the communist government of China actually told people to shut down using electricity and they closed factories. So there's a lot of stress on the system worldwide when these things happen. And especially if you get combination of these stuck weather patterns, these big high pressure systems that just sit over an area and they bake and bake and bake the place, you're going to see a lot more stress on the grid. The conditions the US has just called an El Nino, we're just on the cusp of El Nino. And yet across Asia, we've, we've seen it's hot. It's, it's stifling hot. Countries from Thailand to Bangladesh to India have already broken temperature records. We, we've seen in China already the heat is curtailing hydropower. So it's, that's affecting aluminum output in China. Uh, in parts of Vietnam, they've also gone into rolling blackouts. And this is already, this is pre-El Nino. And, you know, El Nino, China, Bangladesh, th- this is the, the factory of the world. Canon, Apple, Samsung all produce various bits and pieces in these areas. And they're already facing conditions where there's blackouts in, in Vietnam, a key area for a key manufacturing areas up in the north. There are already stresses in the system already, and we haven't seen the worst of El Nino yet. After the break, El Nino could stir up a big storm for the global economy. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Ben, you mentioned earlier about how El Nino can cause a spike in inflation. How else does it affect economies? What does it do to, say, gross domestic product or just the general output of a country? There's been some recent modeling done from from Dartmouth scientists suggesting El Nino causes trillions of dollars in lost economic growth. They've done some modeling on some the bigger El Nino events previously in 1997-98. There was a bigger El Nino event and they found that it set world GDP back by $5.7 trillion. The 82-83 El Nino reduced growth by $4.1 trillion. So it's big. It hurts GDP. So, you know, there you will get 
the the immediate inflationary pressure from the the high commodity prices that have that have been damaged due to drought, dry conditions, less rainfall. But the flow-on effect and the hit to GDP is even larger than what the immediate effect is. So we talked a bit about how El Nino will affect energy supplies, and in particular, electricity. We're starting to see Apple and Tesla, which depend on huge amounts of electricity, the whole tech sector, looking at possible shortages. How are other businesses responding to these potential disruptions caused by El Nino? Sadly, you know, the winner is fossil fuels. A lot of the time, especially in parts of Asia, in hot periods, uh, in, in parts of Europe as well, a lot of people or a lot of companies have relied on diesel generators to make up that power shortage to ensure that manufacturing or their, their production isn't affected by rolling blackouts. So again, it becomes a world reliant on fossil fuels. Diesel generators plug that gap when we start to, to find ourselves losing power due to blackouts. Brian, we're all seeing these wildfires in Canada. We've seen wildfires in recent years spread across the globe. Is there a relationship between La Nina, between El Nino, and these kinds of really big increasing fires and droughts and other climate events? There definitely are. If you look at the large wildfires, for instance, that, that raked across Australia a few years ago, those are directly tied to a drought caused by El Nino. If you looked at some of the large wildfires that went across the western United States in the last few years, those were tied to droughts caused by La Nina. And the fires in Canada, for instance, while not really caused by El Nino and La Nina, will probably be made worse next year because El Nino brings drought to southern Canada. You have these parched forests already. They're going to get even more dry. And next summer, you have lightning strikes, you'll have more fires, and it'll just get progressively worse. I think the one way to think about the relationship between climate and weather is that climate sets the table and weather delivers the meal. We get the extremes coming from weather events such as hurricanes or typhoons or heat waves or floods or droughts or whatever. They're all made worse as the climate gets warmer and warmer and warmer. I was talking to a, a climate scientist about the recent heat wave in Asia in April, and uh, he mentioned that a heat wave of that severity is typical of what we see toward the end of an El Nino. And this is happening pre-El Nino. So that just gives you a, 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 an understanding of, of what climate is doing to temperatures, even without the effects of an El Nino event. Brian, one thing that happens when we head into the summer is the hurricane season starts, and we've seen some pretty devastating storms in recent years. How might El Nino affect that? El Nino might actually help the Atlantic hurricane season simply because the changes in the atmosphere bring wind shear across the Atlantic Ocean, the uh, Gulf of Mexico, and the Caribbean, which will tear apart budding tropical storms and hurricanes that are moving into that area. And as you know, I mean, a storm, a hurricane or a tropical storm in the Gulf of Mexico can really disrupt energy prices in the United States. It can disrupt supplies. It can disrupt production. The place where it doesn't help, however, is in the Pacific. You often see more typhoons in the Pacific Ocean. You see them curving up towards Japan more often. So Japan may actually be under the gun for some really strong typhoons at the end of the summer. When we come back, the human cost of El Nino. 
Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Ben, one thing we haven't talked about is how it just affects people uh, and people's health. A big feature of El Nino is is drought. And we've seen drought, particularly across Africa, kill a lot of people. There was, in 2015-16, a high malnutrition rates, forced displacement. Uh, you had nearly two dozen nations issuing humanitarian appeals of more than $5 billion. You know, drought uh, and famine, and uh, and typically in countries that aren't really well equipped uh, to deal with these sort of health issues. You know, usually it's it's poorer nations that uh, that feel the, the, the bigger brunt of it. We touched on it earlier, but, you know, the haze and the smog from plantations that uh, fires, especially across Indonesia and Malaysia, has in the past drifted across the Philippines and across Singapore. And more recently, 2019, 2020, we had the bushfires in Eastern Australia. Now, while that was considered Globally, a weak El Nino year. Conditions were set for a huge bushfire season. You know, we've seen respiratory problems in kids, newborns and stuff like that. So public health is also a, a big impact. Not only the, you know, the loss of crops and commodities, but public health is a key aspect or a, a key feature of El Nino. And Ben, since this happens cyclically, is there anything that governments do to kind of prepare for it so that there aren't commodity price shocks and everybody is suddenly scrambling? I mean, governments can stockpile. They can put themselves in a position where they adequately have adequate stocks. But, I mean, that can only go so far. The world, the globe, will get stretched very, very quickly when commodities are especially hit across all across the world and you have various events. The caveat there being it all depends on the severity of the El Nino. But we are already seeing countries like Australia reducing their, their forecast harvest for, the, for wheat. We've also got Thailand. They usually plant two types of rice crop. They're only planting one this time around. So they put preparations in place as best they can, but there's only so much you can do depending on the weather. Brian, you mentioned at least one good possible thing that could come of El Nino, which could possibly break up hurricanes in the Atlantic. Are there any other possible benefits, like a reason why maybe we should welcome an El Nino instead of just being kind of terrified about it? 
California has uh, suffered under drought for the last few years. It was actually reversed a little bit this winter, but an El Nino, for instance, would actually help California stay out of drought for the coming year. And there are other areas, such as the crop growing areas of Argentina and Brazil, southern Brazil. They were in drought, which was driving up corn prices, which was driving up soybean prices. Well, they should get more water this year. They should be fine. The crop should be fine. Yields should go up. So there are benefits to this in various parts of the world. And how long should we expect this cycle to last until once again it flip-flops and we're back with La Nina? Usually they start breaking up um, sometime around March, April, May. You'll see them. They'll peak between December, January, February, and then they'll start to break up in March, April, May. The ocean will return to a neutral state, and then the cycle may start again. Usually you don't get two El Ninos in a row. It's more common to get two La Ninas in a row. And in recent years, we actually had three La Ninas in a row. So there's a good example of that. Brian, Ben, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to us here at The Big Take. It's a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And we'd love to hear from you. Email us questions or comments to bigtake at bloomberg.net. The supervising producer of The Big Take is Vicki Vergolina. Our senior producer is Catherine Fink. Federica Romaniello is our producer. Our associate producer is Zenab Siddiqui. Hilda Garcia is our engineer. Our original music was composed by Leo Sidrin. I'm Wes Kosova. We'll be back on Monday with another Big Take. Have a great weekend. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.